0: Good morning everybody. It's good to see you. Um, Thanks for being in the house of the Lord. If you're visiting with us, welcome to you, whether you're joining us in person or in our online campus. We are halfway through this new sermon series that we launched several weeks ago called Peeled. we reached the halfway point. We're we're kind of walking through Galatians chapter 5. We're unpacking a, a section of scripture that's known as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to read it out loud with me. Let's put the two verses on the screen. Let's read them out loud to remind ourselves what we're going through. Let's do this together. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, now I want you to stop for a second. Let's hit the pause button for a second. Do, do, Do you understand what we're unpacking. These nine facets of one jewel, these nine characteristics of one fruit are describing who God is. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. God is patience. God has self-control. These are the character traits of God that we're studying. And when you unpack the life of Jesus, when you, when you read about him in the Gospels, he is displaying each one of these facets of the Holy Spirit himself. So we're describing God, we're describing who Jesus was, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is forming these things in every connected believer's life. And so I think that that's awesome, that the Holy Spirit's job is to help us to look more like God, to help us to live more like like who Jesus was, right? And so today we come to kindness. Now I want you to do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think kindness is. What do you think kindness is? Or who's a kind person? Who's a kind person? All right? Now, now I don't know about you, but when I think of, when I think of a kind person, I think of somebody who's nice, maybe somebody who's happy, somebody who lets me borrow, you know, their lawnmower when mine breaks down, or someone who gives out lots of great compliments. But, but true kindness, biblical kindness, runs a lot deeper than someone who's just nice or pleasant or gives out compliments. Let me, let me give you the definition for true biblical kindness. Here it is. Biblical kindness is genuine compassion. So, so, so genuine compassion for others that leads to action, not expecting anything in return. So so I want you to know, biblical kindness is a lot deeper than just being nice. Notice what Paul goes on to say about kindness. Look at Colossians chapter three. He talks about this idea of kindness in our life. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, watch this, clothe yourself with compassion, and here it is, kindness. So, So Paul says, kindness ought to be in your wardrobe. Right? You would never dare go out uh, in public without your drawers on, right? So, so don't leave home without kindness. Kindness is something that you and I ought to be putting on every single day of our lives. Now, do you know why we need kindness so bad right now? Here, here here's why: people are mean. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, pe- people are mean. Right? Church people are mean. I get a little amen out of that one, right? Get, amen, people, church people. Well, I don't know. But no, really, church people can be some of the nastiest, meanest people on God's green earth. Just just watch. I mean, the, sometimes church people argue about the color of the walls, you know, the temperature of the room, the type of coffee that you drink. One church split over a vacuum sweeper. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I read the story. There was a church where two women in the church fought over the vacuum sweeper. One woman put it away one place, and one woman put it away another place, and they would yell and fight over where to put away the vacuum sweeper. And then, man, that's when the fight started. People started taking sides, and it wasn't long before the vacuum sweeper went missing. And they were blaming each other, and, saw, and the church split. People left the church over the vacuum sweeper. It was found three months later. Guess where it was? In the drained baptistry. And and I read about that and I'm thinking, no wonder that baptistry hadn't been filled. That church was a a church that just fought. It was mean and nasty. When the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what we're learning is when your connection with Jesus is healthy, when there are no kinks in the hose, when the Holy Spirit's flowing like it ought to flow, you will be kind. It's just something that's gonna happen. When the Holy Spirit does not have control over you, if your relationship with Jesus is not healthy, if there are kinks in the hose, then you're not going to be kind. What we're learning is kindness, all these through the Holy Spirit, but but, uh, kindness is a barometer. It's a barometer that measures how connected, how fresh, how alive is my relationship with Jesus. Jesus. So, so again, you know, I'm not talking about do you do kind things? Are you kind on occasion? Are you kind when someone's kind to you? Does kindness, when you're peeled, does it just flow out of your life? Once again, today is not about a list of five things you can do to be a kinder person, no we're learning is this is an organic thing. This is a natural thing. When my you know, connection with Jesus is alive, then this is going to happen. So I'm not going to give you three things to do, seven things, seven steps, ten ideas to be a kinder person. What I want to what I want to walk with you through today is again this idea of where does God cultivate your kindness? Because it's going to happen, right? But, but but there are fields. There are fields where God grows certain gifts of the or fruits of the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way, there, there are certain, certain crops grow best in certain fields. If you want to plant rice, you need to plant it in, in, in a lot of water, area with a lot of water. If you want to grow broccoli and beets, man, they grow best in partial sun. If you want to grow tomatoes or corn, man, you've got a full-on sun. So I want you today to consider two fields where God cultivates kindness, where he'll, he'll grow your kindness. Now, they're not the only fields. But I'm here today to tell you there are two unexpected places. Two places we don't really notice that God will grow it. And and the first one is inconvenience. He will grow, He will cultivate your kindness when you are inconvenienced. Well, I I love it. I'm a planner, I love it when a plan comes together. I want to know where I'm going, I want to know where I'm staying, I want to know what's going to go down when we get there. I love it when a plan comes together. Where are the planners in the room? Can I see your hands? There's my people right there. That's my people. Now what happens to me is when my plan gets turned upside down, if you mess with my plan, that's when the wheels of my life tend to fall apart. I can get irritated and I can get snarky. When my plan, what I'm learning, watch this, what I'm learning is when my plan goes up in smoke, it's another one of those moments when God will expose the depth or the shallowness of my kindness. I, I can say I'm a kind person, but when my plans, when inconvenience come my way, that's when God says, okay, well, let's just see how deep it runs. You, you can say it all you want, but I'm going to expose your kindness in inconvenience, I'm gonna see how how deep or how shallow it is. And God's also gonna say, When you're inconvenienced, I can grow your kindness if you let me. Think, think about all the times Jesus was inconvenienced. Have you ever read the Gospels going, how many times was he inconvenienced? Oh, he was inconvenienced a lot. Do you remember his first miracle? First miracle, mean, Jesus is at a wedding, he's just chilling, doing the chicken dance, you know, I don't know what they were doing, but the wedding was fun, and he's just relaxing with the disciples, and then mom comes and says, honey, they've run out of wine, you need to do something, and he says, it's not my time. He, he was inconvenienced. And, and you remember what he did, he, he he went ahead and he he provided, turned water into wine, and it was incredible wine, but he, that was an inconvenience, right? Think about when Jesus, man, had been working in ministry, and Long days, long hours, and all he and the boys wanted to do was to sail across the other side of the lake for a day of just no people, to just, just unplug and get away. And they got in the boat, they sailed across, and as they come up to the shore, there's thousands of people waiting for him. That's another inconvenience. When you look at the life of Jesus over and over and over, when he's inconvenienced, when he's peeled apart, I mean, all that comes out is he still responds in kindness. You know when 2020 started, I guarantee you. Think about January of 2020, January of this year. I guarantee you none of you had penciled into your calendar a worldwide pandemic. No nobody nobody thought, nobody knew that wasn't in any of our plans. And the last 5 months have been some of the most inconvenient months I can remember, right? Graduations have been canceled, vacations have had to be scrapped I heard last week some of our college students are having to do college campus visits like virtually like you go and you do your own visit we can't eat in restaurants like we used to we got to wash our hands every 15 minutes they're broadcasting sports with nobody in the arena so they're superimposing fake people in the stands have you seen this what an inconvenience But perhaps the greatest inconvenience of all this pandemic is this wonderful contraption. Can I get an amen? Now, the mask. The mask. Now, I don't know anybody who likes wearing one of these. Now, I'm sure maybe if you have horrible teeth, maybe that's, you know, but I, I don't know anybody who enjoys it, right? They're hot. Man, my glasses fog up. I can smell my stinky breath when I wear one of these, so I gotta eat lots of breath mints. So, so this has been an inconvenience. But it's been more than just an inconvenience, man. It has pitted, it has pitted neighbor against neighbor. It has pitted parent against child. It has pitted Christian against Christian. And what's crazy, and I'm not lying. What's crazy is people are leaving their churches. Now, now listen to me. People are leaving their churches. People are are trashing their pastors, not over false doctrine, not over immorality. People are leaving because they're being asked to wear a mask to church. Just think about that. You've got Christians in other countries walking five miles to get to church. You've got Christians in other countries who are being persecuted for going to church. But I'm going to leave my church? I'm going to come in with a horrible attitude because you tell me that I've got to wear this little mask on for 60 minutes. Why? Why is this inconvenience being such a thing that shreds any amount of kindness that we've got in in our bodies? Why are we so bent out of shape? There's lots of reasons. Let, let me give you a couple of reasons why we're so bent out of shape over this inconvenience. One reason is that we are buying into some crazy teaching. So, so, so listen, I, I really want you to hang with me for the next several minutes. There, there, there's some of us that are fighting over this mass because we are buying into crazy, crazy teaching. And let me, let me prove this to you. On the screen, this is J.D. Farag. He, he He's a self-proclaimed Bible prophecy teacher. And, and on January 26th, so just a few weeks ago, he posted on his Facebook page, which you know, thousands and thousands of people watch, he posted this, and I'm going to quote it for you. He said, mask is one letter away from Mark. It's not going to be long before the handwriting is on the wall, before the M-A-S-K becomes the M-A-R-K. And without the M-A-R-K, you won't be able to buy, sell, or do anything. Huh? Well, what he's saying, now follow me. What he's telling people is if you are wearing a mask, you are wearing the mark of the beast. And here's what kills me, so many Christians are buying this. So many Christians are scooping the, yeah, it's the mark of the beast, and I'm not wearing the mark of the beast. Stop. Stop and think. This is why biblical hermeneutic is so important. This is why we are striving to to share and to teach you how to read your Bible, so you won't be swept away by all this crazy teaching. So stop. He's using an English play on words, M-A-R-K, M-A-S-K. He's using the English language. What language was the Bible not written in? English. You can't do that. It's not written in English. Look, look. I could do this. Lemon is one letter away from demon. It won't be long before the L E M O N becomes the D E M O N. If you've got lemons in your house today, you better go home and throw them away or you're in league with the devil. <laughs> you would look at me and go, "You're a loon." But people buy this and I'm not wearing a mask cuz it's the mark of the no. It has nothing to do with the Antichrist. It has nothing to do with the mark of the beast don't be led astray by false teaching let me show you another guy we're just wrestling with this mask thing this is pastor greg Locke. and pastor greg Locke, i know is probably on some of your facebook feeds he's got close to two million facebook followers he went on a mask tirade on facebook in which he talked about his experience going into a Dunkin' Donuts and getting into a conflict with a manager at the store. And Pastor Locke said, and I quote, they got into this little discussion, he said, I said to the manager, if you call me a liar one more time, I'm going to take these work boots and kick your teeth right down your throat. I said it, and I meant it. Now stop. Stop. Think Is that who Jesus calls us to be? Does that have anything to do with the fruit of patience? Does that have anything to do with the fruit of kindness? Does that have anything to do with the fruit of gentleness or self-control? The answer is no. And I know what you're saying, Craig, but we can't let the government tell us what to do. Let's talk about that. Let's just talk about that. The Bible teaches us. Jesus teaches us. Paul teaches us that Christians, that's you and I, we should follow the law of the land. We, we are told, be obedient to those who govern you. But not all government rules are the same. It's fine to follow the government rules when they don't contradict with the word of God. So we follow those. So, so seat belts. Speed zones don't drink and drive those don't contradict with the Word of God So I'm in I'll follow those sign me up. I'm all about that There are places where the government rules will contradict with the Word of God abortion Gay marriage if they ever tell me I can't preach I would say no No, I'm not following you, I'm following God. So so those two are pretty cut and dry. If the the government doesn't contradict the Scripture, sign me up. If the government does contradict the Scripture, then I'm not going to follow it. Those are cut and dry. But every now and again, a rule comes down from the government that doesn't violate Scripture. But you and I receive it like it's unreasonable. You and I receive it like it's... Oppressive, and some people are like, "No, what what, what do you do with that when the government it's not doesn't contradict the Bible, but it just seems an overreach, oppressive, something that you know you just don't want to do." Well, well, stop. Was there any time in the Bible where that happened? Let's go back to the Scripture and say, "Okay, well, what does the Word of God say about that?" There was a time in Scripture where the government did that, when when Jesus was alive, Rome enacted a law that was viewed by the Jews as oppressive, totally inconvenient, totally unfair. A Roman soldier could stop any one of us. He could stop anybody. Doesn't matter if you were going to work. Doesn't matter if you were going to a wedding. A Roman soldier could stop you and force you to carry his equipment for a mile. And you had to do it. Now you know that the Jews hated this. Anybody would hate having to stop what they were doing, delay their plans, lug an oppressor's equipment over the hot, rugged terrain of the Holy Land for a mile. What an inconvenience. And you remember what Jesus said about that, right? I mean, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, this isn't China, this isn't Russia, this is Jerusalem, home of the brave. You carry your own bag, potsy, or I'll take these work sandals and kick your teeth down your throat. That's that's what he said, right? No, that's not what he said at all. I want you to read with me what Jesus said. Let's read it together. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it. That's what Jesus said about inconvenience. Someone asked you to go a mile, you go. Two, Jesus said, listen, this has nothing to do with Scripture. I know you don't like it. I know it's an inconvenience, but I want you to go above and beyond, and I want you to do it willingly because I want you to show my kindness. What a shock it would have been for a soldier to hear that. What a shock. I mean, you carry it for the mile, and he goes, okay. And you say, well, you know, actually, um, I'd like to go another mile with you. (laughs) You can see the soldier. What? I mean, no one's ever said this to me, but why would you say that? Well, I follow and I serve a man called Jesus, and he told us to love and to be kind to people. What? What an impact that could have had. This pandemic, these masks, have been a real inconvenience that has exposed the fruit of the church. And so many of us are responding in anger and conspiracy and plain meanness. And I just want to remind you that that's got to stop. That needs to stop. What an opportunity. What an opportunity we have to stop and to say, Lord, in this inconvenience, you are giving me the opportunity to mature and to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit called kindness. Thank you. Lord, may I respond like Jesus did. When he was pushed, when he was pressed, when he was delayed, when he was inconvenienced, when he was opened up, he responded with kindness. May I be that kind of follower. And when we're connected to Jesus, when the Holy Spirit flows properly, when there are no kinks in the hose, kindness, genuine compassion for those around us will lead us to do what we do not want to do. It will call us to go where we do not want to go, all to bring glory to the name of Christ. So kindness, listen to me, we can talk about it all we want. Kindness is often cultivated in the field of inconvenience. Another field, another field where kindness will be cultivated that we don't think about is interruption, interruption. One of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever taught was the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? There are hospitals named Good Samaritan Hospital. And if you're not familiar with the, with the story that Jesus told, a man, a man was traveling down from, you know, up down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and while he was on the road, he was surrounded by bandits, robbed, beaten, left to die. As he's dying on the side of the road, a priest and a temple worker from Jerusalem passed by, saw him, had other things to do, and they walked right by him. A a Samaritan, we might, I don't know how we would call a Samaritan. Samaritans were looked down. This looked down, ostracized member of the religious faith was was walking by, saw the man, stopped what he was doing, got involved, bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, paid for him to to get better, right? and Now, you and I could spend a whole hour. We could spend weeks talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I read it again this week, and there was one verse that just stopped me as I was thinking about this idea of interruption. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 34. Here's the verse that caught me. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and with wine, and he bandaged them. And I don't know why God stopped me on that verse but i just kept coming back to that verse and reading it and praying it and just meditating on it and i started to think about the wounds i thought about man this this man had visible wounds he was probably cut he was probably bruised you could see the wounds on the outside cuts bruises right contusions but he also had wounds on the inside wounds that you couldn't see maybe he had some broken bones you know maybe there was some damage to you know to his lung or to his i mean I, there there were Visible wounds and wounds that you couldn't see. And then I was drawn to the Samaritan, this outsider, this guy who was on his way somewhere and and suddenly interrupted. And this guy's not a trained medic. He he doesn't have a med kit in his donkey saddlebags. He stops, and what does he do? He has a lunch. So he takes his wine, and he takes his olive oil, and he takes his robe, and he takes what he has, and he... He stops, and, he, and, he, and he's kind to this person. And then I began to wonder, how many wounded people will I pass today? The waitress whose marriage is falling apart. The cashier whose child overdosed. The teacher who just got word she has cancer. Listen, nobody escapes this world unwounded. We all carry wounds. Often, you and I don't see the wounds in other people because other people can hide them. Nobody really likes exposing their wounds, so a lot of times we don't see wounded people because people do a really good job of hiding it. You're not going to go through the cashier line, and you're probably not going to hear her say, yeah, my son has cancer. But... More often than not, I I think you and I fail to see wounds because we're just too busy. We just move way too fast. I'm here today to remind you that hurry, hurry is the enemy of kindness. When I'm in a hurry, when I've got to be somewhere and I'm going really fast, I don't take time. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't create the margin to see other people's needs. Busyness just narrows my focus. Much of our life is spent either thinking about the past or thinking about the future. The argument I had with my spouse, the mistreatment I received from my boss, the disagreement I had with my kids, much of my life is spent thinking about the past. Or it's thinking about the future. I got a Zoom call at 11, lunch appointment at 12.30, deadline for my uh, report is 4, haircut at 5.30, I don't think that way, but some people do, right? Much of our day, again, is spent in the past or in the future. What interruptions do, watch this. What interruptions do is they force you to stop and be in the moment, right? Interruptions are actually invitations to slow down. Interruptions are portals to the present Interruptions are when God says, stop, look here, look at this thing. And you and I can't be too busy to not see that. Just like the Samaritan. I mean, when we're interrupted, we might not feel qualified or ready, but those interruptions are fields to cultivate our kindness. And kindness can be a game changer. Think about how many times Jesus was interrupted. Again, we're talking about, you know, kindness was cultivated in his life, man, just like it is in ours. Think about all the times he was interrupted. Do you remember, do you remember he, he's sitting in a house teaching? And right in the middle of his sermon, plaster starts falling from the roof. And more plaster starts falling from the roof. And all of a sudden he looks up, and there are these, these guys looking, they're tearing a hole in the roof. And I think they might have been from New York. They're like, yo, Jesus, how How you doing? We got this buddy. He needs some help. He's coming down. and I, That's an interruption. And do you remember how Jesus responded with kindness? Man, he, healed. he stopped what he was doing. The lesson wasn't important anymore. Here was a need that he could meet, and he healed that man. And, man, those, those, those guys walked home together. And Jesus slowed down. Saw the interruption as a divine moment to be in the present, shares some kindness, and changes a guy's life. I guarantee you that was not on his agenda. <laughs> I guarantee you he had no idea that, because he, you know, he's God, but I mean, he, he's also man, right? But he stopped and he displayed a little kindness. So, so I just want to remind you the next time you find yourself in the land of inconvenience or the land of interruption, Instead of reacting, instead of reeling, instead of responding with a cry of frustration, slow down and tell yourself, I'm standing in the field where God cultivates this thing called kindness. And God can grow it right now. Stop and smell the roses there. Stop and walk through that portal into the present. Don't think about what you can't do. Think about what you can. Be kind and watch that kindness change the world. Well, we want to practice a little kindness this week. We're going to practice a little kindness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some homework, and I've given this homework to you a time or two in the past. But uh, we're really going to bless the restaurant industry. I mean, I can't think of another industry that's been hit probably as hard as the restaurant folks. So again, your homework, you ready for it? I want you to go out and eat, or I want you to go get, get takeout from a, from a restaurant of your choice. And, and what I want you to do is, is, is I want you to, as you do that, on your way out in the lobby, there are these kindness cards. So I want you to pick up one of these kindness cards. So when you go out to eat, whether it's today or Wednesday or whether you take, get, get, get carry out takeout today or next Friday, I want you to keep this card with you on the front it just says kindness and it has our church our church website at the at the bottom and on the back it's blank as you're if you're eating in if you're meeting your waiter or your waitress i i I want you to listen to them for a second maybe ask them a just a quick question and during that meal i want you to write a little note to them Get their name and write them a little note. If you're doing takeout, just make it a generic note. And on the note, what I'm not looking for is like, hey, you did a good job. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for you filled up my tea real nice. Thank you. I'm I'm looking to go a little deeper than that. Remember what kindness is. Remember the definition. Genuine compassion for others leading to action, not expecting anything in return. I want you to write something deeper on this note. I want you to imagine what it would be like being a server in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Maybe you are being exposed to this virus a lot more than other people. Maybe you have had your shift cut back. Maybe you've not been dealing with very nice people that day, and I want you to encourage them in that note, and I want you to thank them, and I want you to bless them in only a way words can. And then what I want you to do is leave a really nice tip. I'm not talking your normal tip. I want you to leave a really nice tip. I'm not talking 10%. If you put 10%, scratch out the name of our church and write Southeast Christian on the bottom, right? (laughs) Don't do that. That's not kind. But I want, you to, I want you to write that. Note. The, the, the tip will be appreciated. But your words have the power of life and death. And I want you to share a little kindness. Kindness is such a powerful force. Listen to what someone said. With kindness, you can lift sad people up and cool angry people down. With kindness, you can bridge racial, ethnic, and gender gaps. With kindness, you can lower stress and reduce fear. Kindness has the ability to change the world. So my brothers and sisters, clothe yourself with kindness. Let me pray.